It's Window Nation's semi-annual sale, and it's a big deal. Right now, get 50% off all windows along with no interest for five years plus bonus savings when you schedule a consult today. If your windows leak, get foggy or hot, or you're paying high utility bills, that's a big deal. With Window Nation's semi-annual sale, you can replace your windows and save a big deal, too. Schedule a no-obligation in-home estimate now. Call 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You're listening to the Go Birds Pod, a radio.com podcast about your beloved birds. All right, welcome to Football Moves, Episode 2. I am Vince Quinn, happy to be here piloting this fine ship with you. As we go across the NFL, there's a lot of things to get into. Tom Brady's contract, he got a little boost in cash. If people are like, what's up with this? Why is Tom Brady not making a lot of money anyway? Well, Tom Brady's never made money, and it's the only reason why he's still playing. Um, also... What we're going to be getting into, one of the best players in the NFL is a guy you've never heard of. We'll get into that in a little bit. And my other thing that we absolutely have to talk about is it's refreshing to see a grown man cry. We're going to talk about all that and more. But first, let me tell you why Dante Fowler is our Lord and Savior. So Dante Fowler, who is a edge rusher for the Jacksonville Jaguars, had eight sacks last year. Not a starter, by the way, which tells you how talented that defense is. Dante Fowler got suspended for a week, a week of the preseason. And he got suspended for this week because what happened is on Sunday, Dante Fowler got in a fight with Yannick Ngakwe, who is also an edge rusher for the Jaguars. But it wasn't the only fight. He had gotten in a fight earlier in practice with James O'Shaughnessy. So now Dante Fowler, while he's fighting Yannick Ngakwe in practice, has now had two fights in one day, it's also his second day that he's been practicing with the team. He's coming back from an injury and just getting back into the swing of things. So that's a lot of fights in a short amount of time. Typically at this time of the year, you say, well, you know, guys have been hitting each other for a long time. They're getting sick of it. No, no, no. Dante Fowler is in practice number two. So it's way different for him. And he is very, very chippy. And so... What happens is, as there's this fight going on where it's Fowler and Ngakwe and they're pushing each other, there's no punches, but typical NFL, you know, just pushing and a lot of bodies around, Jalen Ramsey gets upset with the media because they're filming the fight and he starts yelling all sorts of curse words at him and he ends up doing like a 10-minute session with reporters afterwards saying things like, how he's mad at them and doesn't like the way that certain things have been covered. He talked about how he didn't want the fight posted and how most of the team just doesn't like the media. These are all things that Jalen Ramsey said 
after practice. And so the media, of course, they post the video of the fight because, duh, I mean, of course you're going to do that. And so Jalen Ramsey got really upset, and he tweets a reporter that is in that area covering the Jags, and he says, you know you done messed up, right? LOL if y'all want war. We got some for y'all. And I know the rest of y'all, you know who you are, going to read this too, so just know. Hashtag lame-ass reporters. Now, this is dumb, right? This is dumb by Jalen Ramsey to get himself mixed up in all of this because, one, he's not a part of the fight, right? He's not in it. He's yelling at reporters while it's going on. But they're having the fight. Like this. Like I said earlier, this isn't new business. So I don't know why Jalen Ramsey, who's a player that I like, and, and if you've listened to previous podcasts that I've done, I've been a big fan of Jalen Ramsey. I think he's great for the league. But fighting happens all the time. And so I don't get why he's so worked up over the idea that the media are filming this practice. I think it's this idea that sometimes... Somebody can annoy you, right? Have you ever had a time where I've been this way, high school, college, there's just one person that's around, maybe they're at the lunch table, and you just something about them bothers you, and then once you realize that they bother you, you start looking for more reasons to be mad at them, to not like them, to say that they're annoying. It's just it's just like, ah, I just I hate you, and I want to I need reasons to hate you even more. Just get that aggression out for some reason. And I think that's what's going on with Jalen Ramsey in the media right now. So He's causing all of these issues with reporters and tweeting all these negative things. But again, fights happen all the time. There's no big surprise that it's going to happen with the Jaguars. They're a very feisty physical group. And ultimately, no one cares. I mean, think of all of the years. I'm assuming you're an Eagles fan, but hey, maybe you're a fan of another team. And God bless you for listening to the show. But all the same, think of all the years that you've followed your favorite NFL team. How many training camp fights do you remember? I got nothing. I got nothing. I can't think of anything that is really significant for my time following the Eagles. I say, oh my God, that training camp fight was unbelievable. It just, it, it's in one ear, out the other. It really doesn't matter. So this was going to just disappear into the atmosphere, but Ramsey decides to make it a big thing and, and tweet at the reporters and tell this guy that he messed up. And he has another tweet later saying that, I'm always going to take up for my teammates because I know what type of men and players they are for real. Love my dogs. If you don't like it, oh well. God bless. So Ramsey, he feels no sense of remorse here. And I I don't know what's going to happen. It's a weird spot to be in when your problem is with the media because they are so present. They're going to be at all the games. My understanding is they share flights together. So when you're going to be around each other, all the time, and it's this hostile, and for Ramsey, he's getting suspended along with Fowler. So Fowler's getting suspended for fighting so much, being back for just two days, and in part for Ramsey, he's getting suspended because the way he treated the media for handling that fight, which, again, was totally reasonable. So they've both been suspended for a single week now of the preseason, which uh, I don't know what's really being accomplished here, because Ramsey now, this is third year, or this is, uh, yeah, is this his second or third year? Let me check that for Jalen Ramsey. For Fowler, it is his third year in the league. And so, you know, it's it's no, it's no not a big deal. Um, 
Yeah, for Ramsey, this is his third year. And for Fowler, it's technically his fourth. He tore his ACL at the very, 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 very beginning of his rookie season. He really didn't get off the ground at all, didn't play in the preseason, nothing. So these guys have been around for a couple of years, and it's not a major punishment. And for Ramsey, he's felt no remorse. So I don't know what kind of problem that's going to be going forward, and that's going to be a fun thing to keep an eye on. But, man, this is so incredibly stupid. Just the whole situation is dumb. Um, for Fowler, it seems like he's got beef with Ngakwe, and a lot of the defensive linemen just don't like him. So that could be something to keep an eye on. It might be, if it continues to go that way, then we could have a situation where maybe Fowler gets traded as the trade deadline comes up just because they've got enough issues. You've got all these big personalities that you need to contain. And so. We'll see where that goes, and for Ramsey, where it all happens with the media. But man, what a really dumb incident, and the punishment is just as dumb. I've never heard of somebody being suspended for a week of the preseason and held out of a preseason game, but that's what's going to happen. Both Ramsey and Fowler aren't going to play against the Vikings. So you've probably seen those stories everywhere, but like, what the hell's going on with that? Well, that's where it is. It's just kind of a silly story. Now, to cap it off, and this is just, I, I, I'm stumped by this. After all of this happens, Dante Fowler, having been suspended and left in Jacksonville, decides to tweet out, they hated Jesus too. (laughs) They hated Jesus too? What does that even mean? What are we talking about here? They hated Jesus too. Dante Fowler, you don't start. Yeah, you had eight sacks last year, and that's a totally fine number. But dude... You don't start on your team. Like, nobody likes you. Uh, They hated Jesus, too? Really? I I don't know. Unless there's some, unless this is really bad and their locker room situation is really toxic and it turns out there's a bunch of bullies in there and, and Dante Fowler, for whatever reason, is the only one nice person and they've decided to just pick on him all the time. What a ridiculous thing to tweet. I, I think that's pretty funny. And by the way, Fowler being the only guy that's suspended and not Ngakwe, who he scuffled with twice, like, I think that tells you something as well. So, yeah, sure, maybe they hated Jesus too, but Jesus wasn't starting fights either. So, I don't know what to make of that, but it's totally ridiculous that Dante Fowler's comparing himself to Jesus, and you're welcome for that. Now, another thing I want to get into here is Tom Brady's contract. There's been a lot of talk about it. So, what happened is Tom Brady really doesn't make money ever. He's When you're looking at the list of quarterbacks, Tom Brady is always in the bottom half, if not the bottom third. And what ha- the reason why he's in the news now is because they just gave him a $5 million bonus that he can make through incentives. So he's got to earn it. And that requires being in the top five in a couple of statistical categories. Things like um, passing yards and completion percentage, and, you know, quarterback stats. So... For each one of those five benchmarks that he's in the top five in the NFL, which shows you the amount of confidence that, that one, the Patriots still have in Brady and that Brady still has in himself as he's now turned 41 years old, which, oh my God, um, for Brady to accept that is pretty telling. But he's got to, so for each of those categories, he'll earn a million dollars. So if he hits top five for all five of those categories, he gets $5 million. Now, if he wins the Super Bowl, in addition to that, he'll get $2 million for each incentive instead of $1 million. So he could make up to 
$10 million if he wins the Super Bowl and he's basically an MVP and he's top five in everything. So that's what Brady's deal is. Now, a lot of people are looking at this and, and saying, well, I see that Kirk Cousins is making like $30 million and Tom Brady might make $20, 23000000 million. Like, why is Tom Brady not making any money? Tom Brady's not making any money because he doesn't need to, because he wants to have a career. Think about this. Tom Brady is 41 years old. And I think it's pretty important to note that for Brady, he is playing at 41 years old and he can accept those incentives, right? He can say, contractually, this makes sense for me and I feel like I can do this. I can earn this money. He's able to do that at this age because he's been healthy, because he's had a good team around him. And by not taking all of that money the quarterbacks eat up, he's able to build a team. Like, the Ravens suck right now, right? The Ravens are a bad team. People don't want to go there. Joe Flacco is a mess. And he's eating all of their money. Imagine how much better the Ravens would be if they had an additional, like, $13 million a year. Think about that $13 million a year that you could spend on a variety of players all across your team. You know, like, it's amazing the number of players. A lot of running backs, for example, are worth like $4 million. So you could get a quality rotational running back. You could get a solid linebacker or two. And you could cover that cost and still have Joe Flacco. But he makes so much money. The market demands that he makes so much money that the team is just totally sunk. Tom Brady has never been that guy Throughout his entire career, he has not been the record-setting, big-time contract, superstar quarterback deal that you would expect. And that's be- and that's the only reason he's still playing. If Tom Brady was taking all the money that he thought he was worth, and, and he has been worth all of that money, he'd be taking more hits. You know, his defense wouldn't be as good to turn him the ball back over so he can score all those points. He wouldn't have, like... Randy Moss coming in for a little while and Wes Welker getting those extensions and Gronkowski getting all that money. It's just all these different guys wouldn't be there for Tom Brady over the years. The team would be worse. And that's a big part. Tom Brady, like as much as we talk about Brady and Belichick themselves, Brady's contract is one of the single greatest reasons why the Patriots have been as good as they've been over all these years. Flat out. Flat out. Like, Aaron Rodgers, right? I, I always talk about Aaron Rodgers and how he does, he never has a great team around him, and once he gets injured, the whole team goes to crap. Well, if Aaron Rodgers wasn't making some of the top quarterback money in typical seasons, he's not right now because he's been leapfrogged a few times, but if he was making a little bit less money and that was distributed around, yeah, his team would be a lot better, and he probably would have been to another Super Bowl by now. But he's getting all the money, and he's entitled to that. I'm not saying he, he doesn't... Uh, players have every right to make every penny they want to, and for Brady... He's lucky that he's in a situation where his wife is a supermodel and he has all of these endorsement deals. And by the way, by playing longer, and this is a little bit of a long con move, this is a this is a betting on yourself kind of move, but by taking a lesser NFL contract and having better talent around him, he's able to play longer, which keeps his star brighter for longer. And now he's going to have that status of being the greatest of all time. Is Tom Brady the greatest of all time? If he's not in that Super Bowl in Atlanta, if he doesn't make it again to a Super Bowl in Philadelphia, I mean, he he might be, but now it's a sure thing. And those are the benefits of playing for as long as he has. And so... 
Tom Brady, by having all of that, will continue to get more and better endorsement dollars down the line. So all of this plays out in Tom Brady's favor. He has no reason to make that superstar money. And so all these people are puzzled, and it's pretty common sense to me. So that explains Tom Brady's deal. Now, another thing we want to get, speaking of quarterback greatness, I would be remiss if I did not mention the, the actual greatest player of all time, and that's Josh Johnson. Uh, Josh Johnson is a quarterback that is a free agent right now and might not be for all that long because if you look at the track record, so Josh Johnson got a workout with the Seahawks on Friday. And you might be like, you might be thinking, like, who is this guy and why is he a free agent? Why do I care? Well, here's the thing. So Josh Johnson, as he's worked out with the Seahawks, He's. It's one of the few teams he hasn't been on because he spent a couple of months with the Raiders in the offseason. He was with the Texans at the end of last year, and he was drafted in 2012. So Johnson, this is, and this is amazing, it's a, it's a little pro football talk blurb. It's the greatest blurb ever. It says, Johnson, a fifth-round pick of the Bucks in 2012, also had stints with the 49ers, the Browns, the Bengals, the Chargers, the Jets, the Colts, the Bills, the Ravens, the Giants. So let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. You count in the Raiders and the Texans. He's been with 12 teams since 2012. All of these teams have signed him at some point. So he is remarkably good enough to get cut everywhere, but always get a second chance. And this is a guy that it's not like he's young and he's this big project player like the the Eagles brought in Christian Hackenberg because, I don't know, I guess they got really drunk one night and thought it'd be funny. But uh, Josh Johnson, at 32 years old, is still getting looked at. And here's his career stats, which is great. He's played 29 games. With five starts, they're all losses. Every every single game that Josh Johnson has started has been a loss, yet he's been on 12 teams. 12! 12 teams with five losses for his career record. Every single start he's ever had. And on top of that, he's completed 96 of 177 passes, so just a, a, little, bit, a little bit over, it's probably mid-50% completion percentage. For 1,042 yards, five touchdowns, and 10 interceptions. <laughs> 12 teams! Like, if there is anybody that is more interesting and greater than Josh Johnson, you got to let me know. and I'll gladly hear about it. But my God, I looked at the resume as this was put out by Pro Football Talk, and I was just, I was floored. I was floored by Josh Johnson. I knew he'd been around for a little while, and he's been a backup in a few spots, but my God, this guy, he just can't die. He just he, He's the most remarkable thing I've ever seen. So if you've got another player like Josh Johnson, you can let me know at It's Vince Quinn. I, I will gladly give them an, an honorable mention because I'm a big fan of Journeyman, and he is like the ultimate Journeyman. I mean, it's just, it's so unbelievably impressive. Congratulations to you, Josh Johnson. This is, yes, you, you've you deserved every second of this. Now, a uh, couple of other quick notes to get into. One, I didn't have a chance to talk about the Corey Coleman trade all that much because it happened last week. I tried to get the show out last week. It just wasn't able to happen. And so, Corey Coleman gets traded to the Bills for a seventh-round pick. And you see Hard Knocks, and, and Hard Knocks being on HBO, it's the second episode that's come out. 
They they did it in the first, literally the first four minutes or so of the episode this week. They show the whole progression, basically, of what's going on. Corey Coleman is in practice. He's not catching balls, and his effort sucks. And the coaches are yelling at him all the time. Hey, Corey, come on, man. Do, do better. Pretend you care. And they keep yelling at him, keep yelling at him, keep yelling at him. He's not doing anything. Then he goes to Hugh Jackson's office and says, Hey, how come I'm not playing with the first team? If you guys don't like me, if you don't want me out there, then just trade me. And sure enough, they do, and they trade him for nothing. Uh, Corey Coleman was entitled, and for a guy that had no production really to speak of whatsoever, and his work ethic stunk, I mean, I I don't blame the Browns for trading him one little bit, but it does go back to the Carson Wentz trade, and a lot of people have killed the Browns for making that trade because they traded down from that number 2 pick with the Eagles and drafted Corey Coleman. So people are saying, well, Corey Coleman was a bust. The Eagles should have taken, or the Browns should have taken Wentz, and that's that. I don't think it's that simple. Um, there were, I think, 11 picks ultimately because the Eagles traded picks to the Browns, then they moved down from some of those picks, and together they were able to get something like 11 draft picks out of that. And when you think about it, you're the Browns, right? They've drafted so many franchise quarterbacks that have had no support. And you would have drafted Carson Wentz onto a team that was just outright bad. It was a year before they went 0-16, but they were, what, 1-15 in the year before that? They weren't any good. So you would have put Carson Wentz on a 1-15 team. You would have had to develop him with that kind of talent. Maybe they have two wins. Maybe they have three wins. But it's not a lot better. And would Carson Wentz be successful in that environment? I'm not so sure. And when you need to build an entire roster like the Browns need to do, I mean, ground up 0-16 at this point, and that's with some of those young draft picks, and they just couldn't get them right, you have to try. Like, the ability to get all of those picks and, and build an entire core of your roster, if you hit on a few of them, almost overnight is something that's a very tantalizing opportunity. And so people are crushing the Browns for the result. And... I don't, and and that's, you know what, that's fine. You can crush them for the result. But philosophically, there was a lot of sense to be made in that trade, and I totally respect the Browns doing it because here's the other thing that comes out of it. The Browns were tanking at that time. It doesn't really get thrown out because it's more of a basketball term, but the Browns were tanking. They were tanking hard. And so during that time, what happened to the Browns not drafting Carson Wentz? Well, they got a lot of young players that they, they were able to roll the dice on, but also... They continued to pick at the top of the draft. I mean, Miles Garrett is going to be a hell of a player. He was the top pick in the draft. They just got Baker Mayfield this year. If you listen to last episode or, or you see me on Twitter or anything, I, I've talked a lot about Maker, Baker Mayfield. I have a massive amount of confidence that Baker Mayfield's going to be a great, not just like a good or a, uh, yeah, he's okay, he'll start for a couple of years. No, Baker Mayfield's going to be a star, in my opinion, and... When I see that, he's the number one overall pick. So how bad was it for the Browns? You want to look at the direct picks involved, but there is a residual effect here. And so it's worked out well enough for the Browns where they're an exciting, interesting young team. And yeah, it would have been nice, and it looks good in retrospect to say, yeah, you should have gotten Wentz, and obviously Wentz is great. I think he's he's absolutely amazing, but... It's turned out better for the Browns than you think. So uh, I just I had to fight that narrative a little bit. Now, another thing I want to get into here, and this is something that it really caught me off guard. So the, the first thing didn't. Darius Geis tore his ACL, and he's done for the year. Now, that happens, right? I, I mentioned it earlier. People get injured. Star players get hurt, and before this, uh, rookies will get hurt. 
and seasons are going to end before they even get started. And that's a shame, but it's the reality of the football business. Now, here's the thing that I, I just didn't appreciate. And it was a conversation with Chris Thompson. Now, Chris Thompson, who I just love and adore, and he's my baby, even though he's like a year younger than me. Uh, Chris Thompson was asked about Darius Geis and his injury. And when, he, when they asked him, I mean, he was talking for a minute about just how hard it is and how bad he feels for Darius Geis. And he started to cry. And it was one of those things. It's, it's, it's just, it, it hits you. It hits you in a very real way because we don't appreciate it, right? We always just think about, yeah, that's it. the guy's injured, but he's going to come back. It's very rare that there's career-ending injuries anymore. Even uh, Jimmy Graham, for example, had really what you could consider one of the last major injuries in the NFL that you have to worry about, is this guy going to play, uh, outside of the really extreme things like what Ryan Shazier's gone through. And he had the, uh, Jimmy Graham had the patella tendon. So the patella tendon is something where it's like, you know, if that gets messed up, you're probably not going to play well. Jimmy Graham's been able to come past that, and he got 10 touchdowns last year. Looks like a great player. Uh, he's go- going to Green Bay, probably going to put up good numbers there. But otherwise, ACL tears, for example, used to be a devastating thing in the early 90s, mid-90s. That could be career-ending, and for plenty of guys, it was. That's not the case anymore. So we always take injuries for granted. It's not a big deal. Guys are going to get back. They might play just as well as they would have if they had never gotten hurt, and everything's fine. But you don't consider the entire stress of going through that, right? Like, when you're a guy that's torn your ACL, you have to spend all of this time just hardly being able to walk, and everything you want to do every single day, right? These guys have big houses a lot of times. You're a couple years into your career. You buy yourself a nice house. I mean, hell, even Corey Coleman, <laughs> as bad as he was in getting traded, he had that first-round pick contract. And so he had a big house. And imagine, you've got this big house. You've got a torn ACL. And you've got to find your way up and down the stairs to get to the shower and cook yourself something to eat. It's just... it's. It's exhausting. Literally every step you take is is scary and hard and difficult. And these guys have to do that. And then all of the constant rehab and the expectations from the outside, it just continues to weigh on you. Sometimes the surgeries don't go right. Like we we just we don't appreciate a lot of times the human element of getting hurt. I mean, here's the other thing too. These guys are very young and they're incredibly strong and they're in great shape and they do these marvelous things. They run the 40 in 4.4 seconds. They squat, uh, you know, 800 pounds and it's not a big deal. It's just like, it's so impressive what they're able to do. They're always this symbol of physical greatness and that it's gone. Even if it's just, you know, it's nine months, it's gone. That's your identity. You can't run. You can't jump. You're not lifting and walking. Again, like those little things just are such struggles that you're not used to. You've never gone through that before. And the mental grading of that, as you're not around your teammates every single day, you're just with doctors all the time and you're getting poked at. It's just... It's a whole different experience. It's a whole different way to go through a season. And 
and that's hard. I imagine that's incredibly hard. So for Chris Thompson to be asked about Darius Geis and having just gone through an injury like that himself and to just cry like that in front of reporters, um, really powerful stuff. Really powerful. And I'd highly recommend that you give it a look. I, I tweeted it out a couple of days ago. You can find it at It's Vince Quinn. That's all one word, It's Vince Quinn. Uh, it's buried behind some Phillies tweets and some other dumb things that I've said recently. But it is there if you want to look for it or just Google it. it it's definitely easy to find. So last thing I want to do here, and I'm, I'm going to make this a pretty, oh, well, last two things. Uh, these are going to be pretty consistent parts of the show going forward. So one, I want to have a power rankings. And obviously, it's the preseason, so I, I'm just going to slowly roll out the top 10 for now, and, and we'll have the, the power rankings to go all through the season. So for right now, obviously, the Eagles are number one. You know, there's just no other way to put it. You won the Super Bowl. You look great. Regardless of whether or not Carson Wentz starts week one, uh, I, I don't think that's a big deal because it's all about the long-term value of this team. How good are they? How good will they be? And... You, you just can't top the Eagles, but there is a team right behind them, and that's the Rams. You can't ignore the Rams, and for the Eagles, having them in the same conference, that sucks. But the Rams are ridiculously talented. Dominican Sue, Aqib Tlaib, uh, Marcus Peters, all, Brandon Cooks, just a lot of big names and, and highly talented to begin with. So the Rams right behind them, and that's going to be an interesting race throughout the year. Where do they stack up? And number three... And in part because of Tom Brady's contract, the New England Patriots. So those are your top three. We'll continue to go through that as the preseason rolls on. And we'll update the top 10 power rankings all through the year. But what we also have to do is acknowledge who sucks. It would just be totally wrong if we didn't acknowledge who the worst team in the NFL is. And I asked people on Twitter the other day, again, at It's Vince Quinn. And got a lot of great responses. But the team, I... I the team that I wanted to say before was the Dolphins. But the more that I've thought about this, and I've been able to just sit back and think on it, it's the Bills. It's the Buffalo Bills. They, they have to be the worst team in the NFL. And so I'm kind of excited to watch them play. Because I know it was the preseason, and, and like they had a play here or there. When it comes to regular football time, it's going to be a disaster. And I I can't wait. For whatever reason, I'm just excited to watch them be so terrible. So the Buffalo Bills, as of now, are officially your sad sack of the NFL. So that's, uh, that's something that we'll be doing regularly as well, talking about the worst team in addition to the top 10 best teams. But the other thing that we'll be doing is, Every time on the show, I would like to do it every time on the show, little mailbag. And I don't, you know, I, I was doing an Eagles podcast before under the old name, and I don't have that opportunity anymore. So if you want Eagles questions that you'd like to ask me here, I'll certainly take them. Otherwise, if you got questions or things you'd like me to talk about around the league, I'll certainly accept those as well. So feel free to send me those messages. You can direct message me. You can tweet me just in general. And again, that's all at It's Vince Quinn. So first question I got I know that Howie and Doug got extensions, but am I the only one worried about losing underrated Joe Douglas? He's an elite talent evaluator. Hashtag champ problems. Well, yeah, you should be worried about Joe Douglas. Uh, He is the meat and potatoes, really, of the drafting operation. It's not Howie Roseman's deal. He didn't have a great track record doing it before. And that's why you look at a lot of guys that are in the building 
and they have connections to Joe Douglas, like Tim Jernigan being a good player last year. Again, I don't think he's going to play this year, and I don't know if, if he really plays again, unfortunately, but he was a Baltimore guy, and Joe Douglas knew him. Alshon Jeffrey had connections to Joe Douglas in Chicago. So he's been a real big part of this. And for Roseman, he gets the trades done, he gets the contracts done, and he's masterful at that. But that's half of the GM job, and Douglas is that other half. So for him to leave, it is totally a big deal. And I think when that time comes, if that time comes this offseason, and it very well could, that Douglas leaves, well then, man... Uh, there's going to be a lot of complaining, I think, but it's going to be too late. Yeah, you got to appreciate Joe Douglas while he's here. You got to appreciate how good this team is right now because it's just so incredibly rare. And for Douglas, he might turn out just doing the, if he does the whole job himself, whether he gets a cap guy or not, he could turn out being one of the best general managers in the league. And and think about this: it's almost like in 1995, I believe it was that last season where the Browns were playing before they moved and became the Ravens, and then had to restart again a few years later, Bill Belichick was the head coach. And one of his defensive assistants was Nick Saban. Like, in in an extent, I, I, I know, I'm not saying how he's the greatest GM of all time, but, like, it's something to that kind of level of powerhouse that these guys have together right now, and it could be something we look back on in five years, ten years, twenty years, and be like, holy crap, how was that even possible? No wonder they won Super Bowls. So, so for Howie... The question is going to be, and this is something that all head coaches deal with, right? Doug Peterson, who'd he lose? He lost John Filippo. He's helping out in uh, Minnesota. He lost Frank Reich. He's the head coach in uh, Indianapolis. He's got to fill those spots. Andy Reid, he lost Brad Childress, and then he's losing John Harbaugh, and Spagnuolo went, and he was a head coach, and like all these different guys over the years, Marty Morningweg, like they all got head coaching jobs, and it's hard to consistently replace that top-notch talent. For Roseman, he's going to have to do the same thing. Will he be able to find a high-quality replacement? I want to believe he will, because he found Joe Douglas. And on top of that, he picked Doug Peterson. So he's done a good job since he's gotten back of knowing what he's not good at and allowing those people to fill in that spot. So I feel confident that Roseman could get somebody at least good, and he's so good at contracts and trading that even if they're not as good as Douglas, they'll still the Eagles will still be pretty da- darn competitive. This is a family show, so I'm going to give it you know keep it on the hundred here. But uh, yeah, it it is something that's a little bit underrated, and I'm glad you mentioned it. It's, it's important to keep an eye on. Now the other question is: Let's talk about Jake Elliott, shall we? Specifically, are we crazy? to expect him to replicate the kind of success he had last season on big kicks. 61-yarders aren't easy. They're getting a little bit easier. Kickers are just getting better. Uh, I'm not sure exactly why. I guess it's in the same way that if you watch the Olympics, it's not like the 100-meter dash has been the same record for 50 years, right? It's repeatedly it gets broken through the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, the 2010s, the Usain Bolt. Like All these guys come up and slowly but surely just take little bits and pieces off of that and tighten that time up, make it just a little bit faster. And for kicking, it's gotten that way as well because I remember seeing, like, uh, I think it was Matt Bryant or something. There was a kicker. Oh, no, Jason Elam. I believe it was Jason Elam with the Broncos all these years ago, and he's kicking from midfield. It was a 61 or 63-yard kick. And I I was stunned at the time. It was just like, oh, my God, I can't believe they're attempting this. It's so silly to see a kicker 
in the middle of his logo trying to nail a field goal, and he did, and it was a big win, and it was really cool to watch. But for Jake Elliott to do that, it's not as uncommon today. Um, Will I expect him to make those kinds of kicks this year? No. Uh, I, I think he'll be a fine kicker. Like He was excellent, though, from long range, and the thing, the reason why I'm not as bullish on him from long range is because he misses short range still. He's having issues with extra points and chip shots in general, so when you're struggling in that kind of regard with the shorter kicks, uh, I would figure it's unreasonable to expect him to be masterful from a distance. So again, he's got the leg, and so he's always going to have a shot, but I don't think it's going to be a sure thing from long distance. I don't expect him to set a franchise record again next year either. So with that, uh, again, you can always send me questions for the mailbag, and you can always tell me whatever thoughts you have on the show. We covered a lot of ground today, right? We talked about Dante Fowler and how he's comparing himself to Jesus. We got Tom Brady's contract, Josh Johnson. We covered a lot. So anything you have thoughts on, you can always feel free to shoot me a message. You can find me on Twitter at It's Vince Quinn. I am Vince Quinn. Thank you so much for being a part of the show, listening all the way through. It means a lot. Really hope you enjoy it. Always appreciate feedback. And uh, we got a lot of things to cover still, man. There's going to be a couple of weeks left of this preseason here, and we are just about two weeks away. You know, it's it's not long until we get this regular season going. So it's going to be fun to keep an eye on everything as it continues to progress, and we'll be doing it right here on Football Moves. I'm Vince Quinn, and I'll talk to you soon. Podcast. A radio.com podcast.